Well, friends, uh, my name is Austin. I am one of the pastors here. And during this time in our service, we uh, do something a little differently. We take a break in our service because um, our vision is to help people find and follow Jesus together. And that togetherness for us really matters. Um, as we seek to love God and love each other, the way that we do that particularly is we take the next five minutes to encourage you to get up. We have coffee in the back. We have donuts in the back, uh, water and tea for you to get up and to uh, talk and build Build relationship with one another as we love one another. But the way we do that, because I know some of you might be like, oh my gosh, I hate doing this. This is like the worst part. Like you introverts, there's no, bathrooms are closed right now. Just sorry, introverts, bathrooms are closed. Um, <laughs> there'll be a shock if you try to go in there. <laughs> uh, no, but really, uh, <laughs> but we want you to get to know each other, which means like in church cultures, like you all sit in the same places. So some people need to move to the other places, the courageous move to the other side and get to know each other. But we want you to ask this question this morning. What is the best book that you have ever read? Or maybe this summer, what is the best book that you have read? Take the next five minutes, get up and we'll see you back in a minute. Well, friends, we are uh, starting um, a series um, that kind of was launched last week. Thank you for your grace and your mercy last week. Uh, I was down with COVID, and so uh, we did a, um, a video uh, teaching time, which uh, was a different feel for me, but uh, we're excited because we're really living into our vision of, and we want you to know this, it's super simple, but it wants to guide everything that we do, that we are in a... Um, our vision at uh, Pine Lake is to find and follow Jesus together. And so we really believe that as we find and as we follow Jesus, that our discipleship towards Christ matters, that your discipleship, my disciple, our church discipleship matters, not only in our relationship with Christ, but with one another. And so we're starting um, with uh, a series called the Talmudim. And Talmudim, you're like, I've never heard this word before. And I was like, that's okay. Uh, the, the word Talmudim is a Hebrew word that is often... Um, where we get disciple or apprentice. And so what you'll see um, in the story this morning is that that, um, that rabbis had Talmudim. Uh, these were disciples that walked with their rabbi, that lived with their rabbi. And so we want to understand what it actually looks like for us as disciples of Jesus, the apprentices after Jesus, this Talmudim of Jesus. What does that actually look like? And how do we model not only um, our mind, our heart, and our soul, and our body towards being a disciple apprentice of the way of Jesus. And so the things that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks um, and what are the convictions for us as disciples of Jesus are these three things. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. So this whole year, when we come back a year from now, and we said, hey, what was our vision last year? What do we live into? Um, how those things were shaped? We want these three things to be evident in our lives that we talk about all the time, all year. And so hopefully you'll get tired and sick of me saying this, but we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so would you turn with me in uh, your text this morning that our big idea this morning is that all the goal of what we're talking about this morning is that idea is that as a Talmudine, as a disciple of Jesus, apprentice after Jesus, that we want to be with Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at what that actually looks like from Jesus' own mouth. Again, what I want to tell you right now is that when you come here, and maybe you're new or maybe you've been here for 40 years, that this is not the discipleship or the way of Pine Lake. This is the way of Jesus. So if you are a disciple or you're a follower of the way of Jesus, this is what it looks like from Jesus' own mouth to be his disciples. And so turn with me to John chapter 1. 
We're going to start in verse 35. Um, so if you have your Bibles in front of you, we encourage you to have it, whether it's digital or physical, because we believe like you can see the context in and out of it, that God is have a living word that can speak to you uh, now. So um, follow along as we start with 35. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, or his Talmudim. And when Jesus, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when his disciples, or Talmudim, had heard this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus uh, saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and he spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, one of the two who had heard what John had said had, and followed Jesus, the first thing that Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah, which is the Christ, the one that they had been waiting for, and they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, and it looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. And so the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Oh, Nathaniel. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see. Did you just see what just happened? That Jesus with Philip said, come and see. And then the introduction to his brother said, come and see. Come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, and you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. I hope you noticed in that, like, the call, like, we, this is like the call of Jesus to the disciples, um, to, to follow him, but we often hear that, and it's, that word follow me is in the other synoptic gospels, but here in John, I really love this because John is, um, not only one of the disciples, but he's also the writer of this, so he's taking it from his own account, and he says that when he and other disciples met Jesus, as Talmudim, who were following John, now they said, Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. Come and see. Like that call to come and see is an invitation for his disciples to take up residence in his life. Like it's not to, and we talk about this in discipleship and being disciples, and this is not something that's so common in the last 20 years of Western Christianity, and that discipleship was often an intellectual process, like that I grew up in, in the church, and when I was a young kid, and I met Jesus, and I decided like, that yes, he is who he says he is. I remember praying a prayer, like this is what they said, is go and just pray a prayer, not that it's bad, but pray a prayer and ask God to come into your life. That yes, I'm a sinful person, but God, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be part of my life. And I want you to be the king of my life. And it became this like twisted place where our Western culture said that the Talmudin of Jesus is an intellectual process where you invite uh, the creator God of all of human history into your heart. 
And then in that contract, you say, Jesus, you can have some residence. You can have a room in my heart that now we are together and that when I end my life, that now I can go and before God and I can say, hey, God, Jesus is my homeboy. I got this contract that he signed, so I'm good. But did you see in here, like, the Talmudim of Jesus, like, was to say to come and see, the invitation to come and see. And so what did they do? They went to see where he was sleeping, where he was eating. It was an invitation to take up residence in his life, to hear and experience who he was, what he did, how he talked. It wasn't just to hear the sayings of Jesus, but to experience his life in the way that he lived. And so the discipleship of Jesus is an invitation for us to be with him more than anything else. And we talked about the other two things in the next two weeks about becoming like him and doing what he did cannot exist without being with him. And so in our discipleship of Jesus and the way that we are called to live in the way of Jesus as disciples is to be with him. To come and see, that that response, um, to come and see, not just to hear, but to experience. How many of us in, in our life today wants to experience the everyday presence of God more than just hearing about him? And so this is what we talk about in, in being the disciples of the Talmudian of Jesus, is that we are called to be people who are in constant proximity to him. But you're asking that question, like, what does it look like 2,000 years from now? Like, we are not the disciples of Jesus who sat and ate with him, right? That slept next to him, walked miles and miles around lakes to Samaria and places like that. How do we as disciples of Jesus be with Jesus? Well, Jesus talks about that in... um, that the way, the way that you are going to be disciples, and this is the answer that he gave his actual disciples, which is the answer that he's giving us to. In the same way that his disciples were there with him, and he had talked about his death and his resurrection that were coming very soon, they were like, but Jesus, how are we going to be with you? To be with Jesus is to abide in the Holy Spirit. That he says, I must go away, and I'm going to give you somebody that is better, that can be with you in my absence. It's actually better that I go and I give you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can abide with all believers across time and space at the same time. It is actually good. And so in our practicing and discipling and apprenticing our lives after Jesus is that we become people that abide in the Holy Spirit. John 15 says it this way. Like Jesus, after he says, this is the way, the Holy Spirit is going to be the way which you um, are with me and with me as disciples. He then says this to even um, deeply root it in their lives. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, hear that. That the being with and abiding with the Holy Spirit is the way in which you bear fruit, the way in which you become and do. And that apart from that, if you want to say, like, why am I not growing? And disciples, why am I not bearing fruit? My question is, are you being with? Are you connected to? Are you abiding? That that remain with me is also translated as an abide. If you do not remain or abide with me, that you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain or abide in me, and my words remain and abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Right here, here it is. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. That we show ourselves to be our disciples by our ability to be with and remain with and abide with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because in our abiding and being with, we produce much fruit that as disciples of Jesus look, taste, sound like him. There's a, a gen, uh, an old uh, monk named Brother Lawrence who said this about abiding. He says that his the greatest desire, his desire is to um, tear down the division between uh, work, work life and things of work and things of the spirit. And I thought, how much for us in a life where we compartmentalize so many things that, that we have our spiritual life, we have our personal life, we have our social life. We have our work life. And all those things tend to, to stay separate. That we don't like them to invade little spaces. That we just kind of say that when, when those things start to come together, words collide and you can't exist anymore. But, but the goal of abiding and practicing the presence of God, that's what Brother Lawrence said, is that practicing the presence of God was his life goal. Is to say that um, the division uh, between work and, and social and personal and spiritual are no longer. That he wants to practice the presence of God in all spaces, in all ways. And so for us, what does that mean? That means when we're driving from here, that you're practicing the presence of God. So that person that on the highway wants to cut in at the last minute, as you practice the presence of God, you're full of grace and mercy. When you said the thing, get back at the line. Do you see I have an issue with that? <laughs> like, or you're practicing the presence of God. So when I'm walking my kids to the bus stop, I'm practicing the presence of God, not just knowing intellectually that he is with me, but I'm practicing the presence of God and saying that he is with us and that there might be something that the ki- my kids say or something that God says to me that I need to be aware of and speak life into my own body and into the body of my children just by being with them by practicing the presence of God in my life in every space in your home at the dinner table you're practicing the presence of God that your dinner table is not separated from your spiritual life that your rising isn't separated from your spiritual life. Your work isn't res- separate from your spiritual life. That you practice the presence of God every place. And so that you are not only aware that the Spirit is abiding in you, but the Spirit is walking with you. Paul says this in Galatians. He says, so now that you have received the Spirit, now that you are living with the Spirit, now stay in step with the Spirit. That every step you take is not just a reality that you are living and the Spirit lives in you, but the Spirit is guiding you in every place. So when you go to school, you're practicing the presence of God. When you go to work, you're practicing the presence of God. When you're walking with a friend, you're practicing the presence of God. When you're on vacation, you're practicing the presence of God. These things aren't separate anymore, but they are so woven together, and this is what it looks like to be with Jesus. This routine, just practicing the presence of God in your life is the one thing that I promise you will enrich your life more than you ever dreamed. Because when you practice the presence of God in every space, those places of tension become easier to work through because you're not alone. And you're not trying to find the answer for yourself. But I want to say this. If this is true, if being with Jesus and abiding in the Holy Spirit is the truth that will change our everyday lives, well then, here's a truth that you need to live into. 
that if you want that type of life, if you want the life that Jesus had and that he offers to you in his death and resurrection, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Like your life, think of your life right now and the results of how you're living. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Like a, a, a majority of our culture right now is living in a state of consistent, and they would say even statistics say this, that uh, the people in our lives and around the world today are living at a heightened state of worry and anxiety. And there's no distinguishing between Christians or non-Christians. And my question is like, the life that you're living is a direct, your, your life and the way that the result of the life that you have right now is in direct correlation with the lifestyle you live. Like you're wired, the life that you, uh, the result of your life is directly wired to the way that you live. Like the input of your lifestyle is going to be the life that you live. So what does that mean? Like I remember back uh, in 2021, uh, things were opening back up, and um, something in my life that I was a young high school that I got enamored with was triathlons. Like, I watched, like, the big Ironman race that happened in Hawaii, uh, and just got enamored with the stories, especially, like, the 70-year-old nun that had had over a dozen um, triathlons, and she completed, and I was like, dang, 70-year-old doing an Ironman, 100-plus mile bike, 26 miles on, on your run, and a two-mile swim, like, that is amazing! And so I said to my friend, hey, this has been always a dream. Like, can we start? I know that he was a marathon runner, that he dabbles in triathlons. And I was like, hey, can we do this? And he was like, sure. My friend Brian was like, let's do this. I have another friend that asked the same question. Let's do it together. And I said, all right, sweet. I got accountability. We're going to do this. And then he gave me the schedule. He's like, hey, we start at 5 a.m. We're going to do a little mile swim, and they're going to do about a 25-mile bike. I was like, what? Bro, you know I'm a night person? And I realized like this, like he sent it to me. And then the next morning he's like, hey, I hope you're up. Ready? Snooze. Like, and I ghosted him about it. And like, this is a friend that I went to our church that I was in life group with and that we saw on a consistent basis. And I was just like, I realized at that moment that I loved the life that it was going to result in, but I didn't want the lifestyle that it takes to get up early. To fuel my mind mentally because it's going to be a stress. To fuel my body in, in a way that it's like, hey, I like the idea that eating more calories, but it's not more like Reese's peanut butter cups. It's more protein, right? Some carbs. Like I was like, but this idea of like we want a certain life, but we don't want the lifestyle that it requires to get the result that we want. And as disciples of Jesus, what we say is maybe over the last 10 years, 20 years, or however long, or 20 minutes that you've been following Jesus, you don't like the result of what it looks like to follow Jesus. My question is, what's the lifestyle that you're living that gives you the result that you're wanting out of the life of Jesus? Like Jesus's life like, I think of two ways that it describes it. it. was peaceful, and it was joyful. Like, how does it peaceful in somebody that is needed all the time? That people followed him around lakes, tried to follow him in boats, was always demanding of, like, for him to heal. Even when he was going to, to heal and to raise a daughter who had passed away, that people were like, hey, that's not important. My stuff is important. But yet he was at peace. And he was also joyful. He had disciples who didn't get it. He had Talmudine that didn't get it. And still he took joy in being with them and teaching them and loving them and walking with them. And so if you look at the life of Jesus, you see a Jesus that was never in a hurry. Right? The life he had was a peaceful and joyful life. And the lifestyle, he was never in a hurry. Can you imagine you type one people? That are like, hey, we got a calendar appointment, Jesus, with a girl that's passed away. You can't stop for a woman that's bleeding. 
Like, come on, Jesus, come on. And he's like, Jesus, like, clear my schedule. Like, all you were like, <laughs> all you type one people were like, oh my gosh, we gotta go, we gotta go, Jesus. He was never in a hurry. He lived an unhurried life. He also consistently chose community. He chose to be with people both that loved him and that hated him. He also ate regularly with people. Like he went into people's house and said, hey, you're going to invite me over to your house and I'm going to eat your food. And we're going to talk and we're going to grow in relationship. And this is going to be beautiful. And he also said, then bring your friends. Like, could you imagine like me coming over to your house and saying like, hey, you're going to cook for me, but I'm also going to bring my friends. Your grocery bill, I'm going to see an invoice on my desk like later this week. Like, Austin, that was like $300. I'm like, I know, it was good, wasn't it? Like Jesus in the practice of eating with people. He was also in the practice of getting up early in the morning to spend time with the Father. He snuck away to spend time in silence and solitude with the Father because he knew that that was the source of which all the things that were demanding of his life were going to come. He Sabbathed regularly. As a good Israelite, as a good Jew, he Sabbathed as he taught his disciples the Sabbath. He took a day to rest. He took a day to rest. He also fasted with his disciples. He prayed with his disciples. He was in the word. He showed up regularly to the synagogue with his brothers and sisters to read the Torah, to worship God. And then this, because of these practices of Jesus, he lived a life that we want and desire. That Jesus says, the life that I come to give you is life to the full. And I want that life for you. And I want that life for myself. But the life that you want can't come out with the lifestyle of Jesus. That's what the disciples did. They ate, slept, breathed everything that he did and how he lived in order to get the life of Jesus. And so friends, as we, as we kind of close at this time, for all of you pragmatic friends, like, you're asking the question, well, what do I do now? We're talking about this new vision series of like, we want to be with Jesus, we want to become like him, we want to do what he did. Like, what do I do right now? Well, I think there's a couple things that we have to realize. The discipleship is a long term. The disciples spent three years with Jesus. Minimum. And they weren't even getting it right when he left. So for us in the journey of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing it today, it's going to take a while. Like this is not just a year and we're going to get it and all of a sudden Pine Lake's going to have all the answers and every church is going to come and be like, hey, Pine Lake, how do you do what you do? We're like, hey, we got it. Here's a 12-month plan. Start here. Do this. Bring your people along this and then you'll have the answers. It's a long lifetime of learning to be with Jesus, to become like him and to do what he did. But the way that I can encourage you right now in the way of Jesus in long term is to say, whittle down everything in your life to what's most important. If I can give you some advice like long term, three to five years, is start to whittle down all the things that are unnecessary and start to pluck those things out of your life. Because one of the things that we know is that you, you can't add in new practices with already a full life. Like you can't. Like in our schedules, if you want me to come over, you got to make room for me to come over. So in the same way of our discipleship, if we want to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus so that we can have the life that he offers, then we need to start whittling down to the things that are most important. And then once you got there, once you start to whittle down the things, now start to add things back into your life that are the practices of Jesus. And those things are like Sabbathing regularly. 
spending time in prayer, being in the word, eating with people, living a non-anxious, non-hurried life. And so as you build those things back into your life, that then you become and start to become like him and do what he did. And, and trust me, this, this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy for me. Uh, but we're going to figure this out together. That's our vision, right? We said we're, we're seeking to find and follow Jesus together. You're not going to do this alone. That we're going to do this together so we can rely on one another. Hey, how are you doing that? What are you whittling down? What's going on in your life? How are you practicing these things? We're going to do this over this next year and over the next three to five years of practicing the way of Jesus together. It's going to be done in community. But even drilling down for your pragmatic friends, that this week, if there's something that you can do to be with Jesus, and this is going to be hard for me, um, because I am not this person, and uh, I want to become this person, but i got to adopt this lifestyle, is um, that I'm going to encourage you this, uh, this week is to find 10 minutes in your day just to be with Jesus. And when we talk about like um, the practice of Jesus as silence and solitude, when God went away to to go and to be with Jesus, is that he it wasn't praying; it was just to be in the presence of God. Like we call this like the ancient practice of like a stillness prayer. But you're not praying anything; you're just being in the presence of Jesus. And friend, I'm not a morning person, and, and I'm not asking you to do it in the morning. But I think there's something powerful about the way you start your morning which will bring the results of how you live the rest of the day. And friends, I'm going to be honest about this. Like, I didn't, I don't start the day this way. I never have asked my wife. I'm not a morning person. I'm a up to 1 a.m. person. You know what I realized? And sometimes I'm like, man, I'll do my Bible reading. I'll do my praying time in the evening. And then I'll wake up in the morning and I feel like I'll start it fresh. I promise you, the way that I ended in my day never transferred to how I began my day. It mattered in how I ended my day. I went to bed and sleep and I was at peace. But then I woke up with anxiety of like, what's the schedule? I looked at my phone right away. Here, what's my calendar? I woke up a little late. How am I, who am I going to have to text and say I'm late? And I got to deal with my kids and all stuff like that. I got to deal with the things. But I'm going to tell you the last two days in this morning. Last two days in this, um, I, I don't know, it was like a holy moment. Yesterday, my kids were playing Legos in their room past eight o'clock. That's like a dream for parents. And I thought something had happened to them, but then I realized they were praying, so I like snuck into the kind and I did the practice of grabbing a cup of coffee, like the spiritual practice of drinking coffee. If you're not doing that yet, you need to start doing that. <laughs> Even if it's decaf. Uh, but like went up and my wife was outside. I didn't know she was outside, but then she was reading a book, and so I went over and I sat um, down by the fire pit in her chair, and I just held my coffee, closed my eyes. I breathed and I took a sip. I breathed and I took a sip. And ask my wife, she'll testify this. The breaths got deeper and more relaxing. It's like weight came off. Whatever was like biding for my time started to fade away and I began just to sit with the Spirit and to sit with God and with Jesus. And I'm not telling you, like, this doesn't always happen when I do this. Like, sometimes it's just like, you ask, like, what did God do? What did the Holy Spirit say? Nothing. We just sat. Like, this morning, I sat and I just sat. I sat 10-minute timer. A little legalistic about it because I had to get to church. But yesterday, 
as I was sitting there and just fully being in the presence of God, this image of we have a chair next to us. We have like three or four chairs. And the one next to me was just Jesus lounging in the chair with his feet up on the fire pit, just resting. And I'll tell you the rest of that day, I was more patient and peace with my kids, with my wife, with the things that had to go about the day because I spent time in solitude with the Spirit. And it changed everything. Now, not to say that there weren't like arguments and little tiffs that we had to get into, but the way in which I dealt with them were different because I started my day with silence and solitude that being with Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And I can't get past this idea that being disciples of Jesus is that call to come and see, to be with, more than to do for. And so, church, I'm asking you this. I want to, I want to say this phrase, and it's a, it's a friend that said this. I know I'm over my time, uh, and Kyle will give it to me later about it. But this, is, I think, is so important. In this whole next year, in all of your experience of being a disciple, when the church comes at you and says, hey, we're asking you to live this way, Church, it's not because we're asking from you. We often want more for you than we want from you. In the same way, Jesus isn't asking for more from you. He wants more for you. In being with him in the 10 minutes a day that you think you don't have, he wants more for you in those moments than he wants the 10 minutes. He wants to remind you that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God that you are loved and welcomed into the family. This is what it means to spend silence and solitude with God. It's a reminder of how he can lay his presence upon you. One that says you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven. I haven't given up on you yet. This church is what we're asking for you to be with. So practice it this week. And you might say you don't have 10 minutes. And I'm going to promise I, I was thinking about saying this or not, but you spend over two and a half hours on your phone and you touch it over 2,000 times. 10 minutes is enough. 10 minutes is good. Find it wherever you want, but maybe try it in the morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray this prayer earlier with our worship team. I want to pray it over us. And I just want to say it a couple times. As a reminder to myself and a reminder to us. God, if your presence is all that we meet today, that is more than enough. God, if being with you is all that happens today. That is enough. That we rewire our lives in the presence of you who created us, who knows us, who loves us. God, may we be people that desire to be with you more than we desire just to do for you. God, just as you took up residence in this world and in this life through the person of Jesus, may we heed the call 
come and see, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Holy Spirit, come. We ask this in your name. Amen.